Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Gumshoes, you've got to catch Carmen and stop that creep who made the deer disappear. That sauntering decanter of banter, Vic the Slick. I'm Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita. And from WBEZ in Chicago, this is Nerdette. Coming up, author Margaret Atwood. It's so helpful to be dead if you're a female artist. <laughs> too high a price to pay for me yet. The queen of the nerds. That's a designation that I've decided on. I hope that's okay with you, Trisha. <laughs> yep. You're behind that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. We talk about feminism, science fiction, and the future of the printed page. All that plus your nerd confessions. Right here on Nerdette. For most of you out there in listener land, Margaret Atwood probably needs no introduction, but in case for some reason you've been living under a rock or something and you've never heard of her, you have still probably heard of Handmaid's Tale, which is one of her better known books. The first book that I actually read by her was The Blind Assassin, which I pulled off of my mother's bookshelf and read and adored. And she recently wrote a trilogy that was delightful. It was one of the favorite picks of my ridiculous Alaskan book club session. The first one is called Oryx and Crake. If you haven't read it, you need to just go read it right now. And the third in that series, Mad Adam, came out earlier this year and is being turned into an HBO show directed by Darren Aronofsky. Yes, it's all incredible. You will love her. I know I say this about far too many authors, but Margaret Atwood is definitely one of those people who it doesn't matter what she writes. I am there 110%. Many stories are full of revenge and murder. They're dark, but they're not devastatingly depressing. That's true as well in her most recent book, a collection of stories called Stone Mattress. So we asked if that characterization could also describe her worldview. Dark, but not devastatingly depressing. Yeah. That's a good description. I'm cheerful by nature. <laughs> Stifled laughter. <laughs> uh, but in fact, it's true. But on the other hand, being a Scorpio, we like to know what's underneath the rocks. So we like to go through the forbidden door, see what's in there. That need not be devastatingly depressing. Did that love for looking under the rocks come from literally looking under rocks growing I'm up with your father? Literally from looking under the rocks. (laughs) Because I had an older brother who turned into a biologist. And we spent a lot of time as children looking under not only rocks where you might find a crayfish, but also under logs where you might find a newt. Tell us a little more about growing up the way you did as a young person who was often in the woods. How did that shape your worldview? I was very frequently in the woods and sometimes in the cities. When I was in the cities, it was winter, so my idea of cities was that they were cold. But then I found out later that they, too, had seasons. Most kids growing up are probably afraid of things like bears. And I have a healthy respect for bears, but what I was really afraid of was vacuum cleaners and flush toilets. (laughs) Because, of course, things disappear, and you don't know where they've gone, whereas When you're growing up in the woods, you basically know where everything goes. 
so, yes, it was the woods. It had no electricity, no running water, and it was not in a village or a town. It was actually in the woods, and there was no road to it, so transport was by water. And that gives you a very practical view of life, because if something breaks, you can't just go to the store and get another one. So you are perforce an improviser and a repurposer. And my advice to you is never be without some bendable wire. So useful for so many things. And duct tape. There wasn't any duct tape then, but I'm very pleased it's been invented. And I made sure that I put some into the future in the Mad Adam series. Yes, I think it will outlast us all, duct tape. (laughs) Certainly true in my experience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So things like that that are multi-purpose are very useful to have. I grew up in Alaska, and actually that was in Fairbanks, right in the middle. Right in the middle. So that's not the warm part. No, it is, in fact, very much not the warm part. It is the cold part. It is the barren cold part. Oh, it was fascinating. It was sort of a small city, though, wasn't it? I mean, it's one of the largest cities in Alaska, which isn't saying a whole lot. It's about 100,000 people. Yeah, but it was a city not out in the tundra. It's the most isolated, for sure. It's, you know, there's nothing for about six hours driving in any direction. Why is it there? That's such a good question. Gold. Gold. Okay. That always explains a lot. And is the gold still there? There is still some gold there. Yeah, I have a couple of friends. Are they still who mining the gold it? Mine. Yep, they are. A bit. Yeah. Is it running out? It is running out, but everything is running out, as you well know. Just <laughs> that they haven't found some new things to repurpose. Oh, I'm sure they'll find something new up there. They'll keep digging something. I mean, it's fascinating because in Alaska, conservation is such a difficult thing to grasp because there is still so much nature. I mean, it overpowers us. What they have to think about is the ocean, because one of the important parts of the ocean is right up there, because it has a lot of marine algae, and it is, as you know, the marine algae that make the oxygen, 60 to 80 percent of the oxygen that we breathe. So when you think of it in those terms, that would be easy to grasp, because imagine yourself with only 20 percent of the oxygen in the air that's currently available to you. You wouldn't last long. That's very true. You do a lot of gasping, but you would also get quite stupid because your brain would be oxygen deprived. We don't need any more of that. We have enough stupidity going on. Enough oxygen deprived. <laughs> Coming up more with author Margaret Atwood. We'll talk about the trouble with defining feminism and the future of books. Stay with us. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. More from our conversation with Margaret Atwood. She is especially revered in Canada, where she also grew up in the woods. Her father was a scientist, and they were tromsing around in nature for most of her childhood. We asked if there was ever room for conversations about what was proper for a lady. We had no conversations like that. I sometimes jokingly say that I grew up in an all-male household because my dad was a boy, my brother was a boy, and my mother was also a boy. (laughs) Uh, She was a tomboy. 
as a girl, she was very fond of horses. She was always in motion, so when she wasn't riding horses, she was speed skating. She therefore married the right kind of person for her because it meant she was out in the wilderness a lot where she really liked it. The only disadvantage was you couldn't ride horses there, but you could go canoeing. So I have pictures of her canoeing. I have pictures of her shooting things with a bow and arrow. And I also have pictures of her fishing because although she wasn't dedicated to fishing, it was a source of food. And she used to say that if any other biologist was coming for dinner, which they sometimes did, she would just go down to the dock and throw in a line. So no, we didn't have conversations about what was not suitable for a lady. We did have conversations about what was not suitable for people. That sort of feminism, but not named feminism, by the way. Oh, no, not at, not not at all? Any way. No, she would never have called it, I don't think she would ever have called it feminism, uh, because people weren't calling it that. She was born in 1909, so that means in 1929 she was 20, and there was a kind of palsy image of women around at that time, a kind of Amelia Earhart palsy kind of thing. I think Coco Chanel brought in slacks, and it was okay to have slacks. If you read the popular literature of the time, their detective couple are pals. I think it went along with that somewhat. I've just been reading a book called The Secret History of Wonder Woman, and as it turns out, Wonder Woman was quite consciously a new woman model. We've actually spoken with someone who wrote a different book about Wonder Woman. His was Wonder Woman Unbound, but also about the origins of that character. And it is fascinating to see how that character evolved first from the mind of a male feminist, as he described himself, and then it became a character who lost her powers, and then Ms. Magazine really brought it back for feminist purposes. Yeah, after that guy died, another guy took over and put Wonder Woman basically into the home ec class. But that was in the late 40s and early 50s when there was a conscious push to get women back into the home so that there would be jobs for men returning from the war. So there was a lot of agitprop around that time. It kind of missed me because, number one, I was in Canada, a cultural backwater, so we didn't get the Freudianism that came into the States at that time. But there was a women's magazine in Canada called Chatelaine, and the editor of it was a woman called Doris Anderson. And she was doing a lot of these issues long before 1968-9. She didn't call it feminism. She just called it things that women would be interested in, which they were. It seems that you have a complicated relationship with the word feminism, Yeah, only because people refuse to define it. So if somebody asks you, are you a (laughs) bezorgnik? You would say, what is that? (laughs) And if they say, I don't know, how can you answer that question? And as you know, that word has all sorts of connotations. It can mean, on the one hand, all men should be pushed off a cliff. And it can mean, on the other hand, women are human beings. So which nuance are you asking me about? And if they can answer that question, I'm very happy to engage in that conversation with them. And if they can't answer that question, I can take them through a questionnaire uh, to which they can say yes or no. It's a lot like words 
like Christianity. Well, what do you mean by that? Do you mean Catholic? Do you mean snake ceremonies? Where are you on that continuum when you're asking me that question? I don't think it is I who have the complicated relationship. I think it's the people who ask the question because they usually can't tell me what they're talking about. Absolutely fair. As someone who takes such care with words, what do you think it would take culturally for us to get on the same page when it comes to a singular term like that? Well, what I sometimes say is, okay, it's gone through three general phases in the 20th century. And first wave was around the issue of voting. It was political, about political rights. So that would be the suffragettes. It would be the person's case in, in Canada. And in every country in which women were not allowed to vote, there was some similar thing. Every Western European, North American country, there was some similar thing in some date at which women were permitted to vote. It's very interesting to read the arguments leading up to that. I was a student of 19th century literature when I was in the academic world. And uh, there's a lot of literature in that century, to and fro about the rights of women and why they shouldn't have them and all the bad consequences. Their brains would get too big and their wombs would shrivel up if they were allowed to have... Don't love. <laughs> Mrs. Bloomer, who tried to liberalize clothing, well, if you took the corsets away from the women, everybody knew that they were just... They were just like jellyfish, and they would collapse into little puddles on the floor. These things were seriously argued and proposed, so you can take people through all of those arguments, and anybody you're talking to today is going to vote on the what would then have been called the feminist side of the question. So first wave in the 20th century was vote, so they got the vote. Then along came the Depression and the war, and a lot of women had the experience of working, some of them because they had to. And it's not that women never worked. Some women have always worked, of course, but they had more visible, more highly paying jobs in the war. And then there was the put women back into the home movement, out of which came Betty Friedan, because she didn't like it in there. And then that produced the second wave around 68, 69, early 70s. And that was about image equal pay for equal work, concerns of the body, and it's no accident that it followed very closely the availability of the birth control pill. And then we can talk about the correlation between pantyhose and miniskirts, but we won't go into that right now, but think about it. (laughs) And now we have Beyonce. Now we have the third wave. I think it became uncool for a while to say the F word. People would say, I'm not a feminist, but... And you would also get a phenomenon in which behaviors by men that had been absolutely standard in the 50s, etc., were derided by young women of, say, the 80s and 90s. So they didn't call it feminism, but it was a product of it. And right now, I think we're in the third wave, which is about sexual violence. There's a very large conversation going on about that right now. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think now more than ever, it's also tied to the civil equality movement when it comes to all types of identity. So LGBT issues and others. Well, people have categories and it's a very old thing to have categories and people who are quite rigid in their thinking, which is geneticists are saying some of that's genetic. They like to have hard and fast boundaries. So this goes there and this other thing goes over here. And it disturbs them when the boundaries get too 
wavery and they don't know how to categorize something. So part of that, I think, also came from the system of biological classification that started with Linnaeus. But now biologists are increasingly realizing and saying, you know, some of these things don't fit. You know, they do not fit neatly into this slot or that slot. You can't say this is a plant or an animal. It's got characteristics of both, just for starters. And that's pretty interesting, too. And some of the DNA work that they're doing to trace back the lineages of things upsets established preconceptions quite a bit. So there are a lot of things that are in flux, even what is the universe made of. Even that is in flux. Right. I mean, in the end, I think humans are notoriously bad at navigating the gray area. I think only some of them. Others are very at home in gray areas and find gray areas interesting because it's in gray areas that new questions arise. There's that optimism again. So what do you say when people lament to you about the future of the printed page? Oh, (laughs) okay. So I say the following. Saddle back. I say, (laughs) (laughs) we watched e-reading, and we watched it go up on e-readers, the reading of books. We watched it go up to about 30%, and then we watched it come back down to about 23%. What does that tell you? It tells you that a number of people tried it and didn't really like it. And we also find that hardback books, when they first come out, they have quite the sale then. It used to be that the hardback would have X sale and then the paperback would have a bigger sale. But the e-reading, if it's replacing anything, is probably replacing a certain kind of cheap paperback, not even so much the quality paperback. So I would say that, and I would also say that the neurologist studying how the brain reacts when it's reading print on a page and when it's reading text on a screen It's a different reaction, and it is not, the brain is not as retentive about things that it reads on screen, which is why when you're sending emails, if you want somebody to do something, you should separate the requests and number them. And they say the same about typing notes as you listen to a lecture, for example, compared to writing, especially writing longhand. It's better to write longhand. It engraves it on your mind much more deeply. So all of these things that were developed thinking that it would be the same except in digital form, that turns out to have been wrong science. Or we just haven't caught up yet with the technology. We think just because it exists, our bodies know how to process it, but it's just not true yet. Well, I think that that probably won't happen for another 50,000 years because it took us that long (laughs) and longer to develop the eye-brain-hand coordination networks that we have. I'm with Margaret. If I really want to read something and enjoy it, I need to be holding it and it needs to be made of dead trees. I also think that so much of what's beautiful about books is that they are a break from screen time. Also, how am I going to fill all my shelves if I don't have (laughs) all the books? And then how am I going to judge you? (laughs) Thanks to Margaret Atwood for joining us. She's at Margaret Atwood on Twitter, and she is a delight to follow on Twitter. If you're not already following her, you must. Check out her new book, Stone Mattress. They are nine tales. They are truly wonderful. You will love them. Go read it. I don't even like short stories and I'm saying that. But partly because they're tales. They're not even stories. They're tales. Now here's some homework from Margaret Atwood. I think they might like to read a book I'm reading right now, which is called The Blazing World. It's a novel. It's by Siri Hustvet. 
and it is about a very brainy, nerdy female visual artist and the fact that she decides to do an experiment, having been passed over with female artists often are until they're dead. It's so helpful to be dead if you're a female artist. <laughs> too high a price to pay for me yet. And she decides to do three art shows and talk a man into pretending to be the artist. doesn't turn out happily on all sides, but it's very interesting. You'll learn a lot. That's excellent homework. And it's in paperback. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are. And uh, what is your passion right at the very moment? Let's see. Mine at this very moment. I'm a big fan of this short British series that I think if you haven't seen, you might actually really enjoy. That's near future stories that are episode to episode, not connected except through a tone. There's no recurring characters. It's called Black Mirror. Have you seen it okay, or heard I've about heard it? I've heard of it, but I haven't looked at it yet. Okay, lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. It was a real treat for us. We're big fans. Okay, thank you. Now it's time to hear from you. Time for Nerd Confessions. This week we go live again to the Game of Thrones beer release party from Omegang Brewing and Geek Bar in Chicago. As you hear these, picture that most of them are wearing some sort of fantastic cosplay that's Game of Thrones related. There was a fantastic Daenerys. There was a very good Hodor. <laughs> so keep those images in mind as you listen to these nerd confessions. Uh, I'm Whitley. One of my first cosplays was with my friend, and we were both uh, cosplaying from Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? I love that show. Thank you. <laughs> um, and he was Zach, and I was Ivy. And we wore these costumes to a few different conventions. Literally no one knew who we were, Aww. which was fine. It was fine. Um, but one, one day, I think it was like a Saturday at a convention. It was completely packed. Uh, this about 40, 45 year old woman comes up to us and says, are you Zach and Ivy? And it was one of the happiest moments of my life. She was the only one to ever come up and recognize us. Um, everybody else came, uh, came up, oh, are you so-and-so from this anime? Which is understandable, but no, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was like the happiest moment of my life. Hi. Hi. I'm Manu Mishra. My nerd confession is the only thing I like more than Game of Thrones is Peanuts comics. Excellent. So when I saw this opportunity, I seized it. I saw on T-Furry that there was a t-shirt of Charlie Brown as Jon Snow and Snoopy as Ghost. And I bought the t-shirt and it's a picture of Jon Snow standing on top of Snoopy's doghouse like a watcher on the wall with Snoopy at his heels. And I wear that out about three times a month. <laughs> That's so. a fantastic t-shirt. My name's Sherry, and I would say that the nerdiest moment I ever had was my boyfriend was at a work outing, and I was home by myself, and all I wanted to do was play Spyro the Dragon, the video game. Sure. Um, 
and I made him leave the work outing to go outside to change his password on his PlayStation account so that I could actually get online and put money on the account so that I could download Spyro. And not only did I download one of the Spyros, I downloaded three of them. And now anytime he's not home and I know he's not going to be home for a while, I play Spyro. <laughs> That's an and excellent nerd confession. It's really fun. And I, I love, love Spyro. It. I remember Spyro. Spyro. So fun. Hopefully we can meet some of you nerds in person soon and get your nerd confessions. But until then, we'll have to have a long distance phone relationship. That means you call us and leave a voicemail with your nerd confession. 312-600-5638. You tell us about when you were at your nerdiest. Everything from epic fails to humble brags. Welcome. Again, that number is 312-600-5638. Another option, if you want, you can use the Voice Memos app on your phone or some other way to just record yourself and send that if you're worried about quality control or whatever. But voicemail's cool, man. If you do want to email that voice memo, send it to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. You can also tell us what great lady nerd of history for us to profile. Thanks again to Margaret Atwood for being on Nerdette this week. It was truly an honor to talk with one of our favorite and feistiest writers. You can find us at nerdatpodcast.com. That's also where you can sign up for our email newsletter. It's on the left side of the homepage. Talk with us on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. You can also like us on Facebook. We put mini book reviews on our Instagram. That's at nerdatpodcast too. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson. With help from Joe Dassault, Patrick Burns, and Iris Lynn. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Our home stations are WBEZ and WCQS. Thank you for listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Throw some stars and write a review on iTunes if you're feeling generous, like the excellent Trojan22 did. Nerds! We appreciate the stars, the retweets, and the shares. There's one other way you can help Nerdette. If you're a nerd with a business or who works for one that wants to get your message heard by Nerdette listeners, underwrite this show. Email nerdettepodcast at gmail.com to learn more about sponsorship opportunities. Our theme music is New Old Toys by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tan Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.